0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Storm Inga edition of Cats Talk Wednesday, Benny Hardy here, Terry TB, real TB Brown up in Louisville. Terry, man, how are things up in your Naked Woods? Cold, man. It is cold out there.
2: But uh, other than that, I am doing good. Uh, again, we got a lot of stuff to cover this show, and I'm excited and ready to dial right on in. Exactly,
1: man. Miss Winter Storm Inga wasn't playing. You know, snow in Texas, Louisiana, all the way up to New England. Roads closing, Shreveport, Louisiana, single digits everywhere. Got a little bit of snow, not as much as they called for, but the cold is still here, and the crazy thing about it, it's supposed to be in the 50s or 60s by the weekend, and everybody wonders why everybody is sick. That is our answer why right there. But uh we press on through it anyway, sniffling and carrying on. We're gonna have a fun show, just like you mentioned. ton of stuff to get into. Uh Kentucky basketball, men's and women's, uh another championship coming to the state of Kentucky. Um, we got the, the disappointed lost South Carolina last night. We'll get to that. We got the Gators coming into town this weekend. We got another big time guest coming up. TB, and it's almost that time of year again. I mean, we're as cold as it is now. The start of baseball is right around the corner, and we will have the head coach of the Kentucky Wildcats baseball team, Nick Menzion, be on with us from about 6.30 to 6.45. Got tons of stuff going on, but he's going to carve out 15 minutes to hop on our little show. So how awesome is that? Everybody and their mama loves Coach Menzion, and we saw the job he did in year one and how he just pumped so much life into the baseball team. And he was on everybody's shows during the season, towards the end of the season. And so, honestly, I didn't really have nothing that I could ask him that he hadn't already been answering on all the other shows that you know, we listen to. He was on you know, all the state shows as far as Kentucky sports is concerned, but we'll get him on as we look to next season. Uh, ask for a little bit about last season and all that. That's going to be a blast, TB, as well as everything else that we get to two hours a week on a weekly basis anyway. Yeah, I'm ready to dive on in. It is getting close to pitchers and catchers reporting and
2: all that uh, kind of stuff, so definitely ready to dive in with uh,
1: with Coach Nick. Absolutely, absolutely. So That's going to be fun. Um we'll start last night. Um this is the loss to South Carolina. Uh Kentucky started off slow and Carolina shot horribly in their previous game against Georgia and still won. You know, shot like thirty percent and still managed to beat Georgia in Athens. And they started off like gangbusters, you know, hitting threes and, you're like, well, they're going to make up for that atrocious shooting night against Kentucky like teams are prone to do, you know, play above their capabilities. Kentucky was able to settle in and weather that storm, and that's basically all it was because South Carolina is dreadful offensively. You know, the first half they were 10 for 30. You know, 33%, not from three, but I'm just talking from the field, period. And, you know, they were throwing us some awful, dreadful bricks. I mean, some bad misses. Um, And it's kind of like, you know, Kentucky just kind of let them punch themselves out because really they couldn't, for the most part, hurt you offensively. Guard them, settle them down, contain them find your rhythm, get your legs under you offensively, even though you're short-handed, and you'll be able to get a lead and separate. And that's exactly what happened, but then they just weren't able to finish. Got a 14-point lead, and then it was all kind of downhill from there, and the one threat that could hurt them, South Carolina was able to exploit them with it. They hit Chris Silva down low repeatedly, and he was able to score or go to the line and get fouled, and Kentucky just kind of – the Tennessee game, they, they kind of died quickly in the second half. That eight-point lead withered quickly. Last night, it was just like, you know, just getting nicked to death, death by a thousand cuts. And once they got it to 65-65 and then they took the lead, then you saw it kind of, you know, they they just weren't able to recover. So, do the point loss. Uh, at South Carolina for sure. Um struggle. You had different guys struggle. Kevin Knox balled out. We got CJ Vanderbilt. Um So that's gonna be good going forward. But uh, just the the way they weren't able to finish is gonna be disappointing and frustrating.
2: I agree, but you have to look at it in context. Okay, the context is we were we were shorthanded going in. Context is that Shea has played, you know, 78 of the last 80 minutes of game time. Even at 17, 18 years old, that's going to catch up with you, and it did. This is the game where not having quad a green really, really hurts. And and that's what happened. And when you lump in uh, the foul trouble that we had, Guys fouled out, guys with four uh, fouls. It just became a disjointed mess. Uh, I saw a tweet during the game, I can't remember who it was from, that, you know, with the way the officials, and I'm not saying calls bad, this, that, or the other, but it was just a very choppy game, and there just wasn't a whole lot you could take from it, win or lose. And this was when we were still up, you know, five or six points. So the sky is not falling. It's a loss, that to be sure. But South Carolina still, their RPI, their Kempom, is not dreadful. Uh, I know we want to make every loss a bad loss. Uh, and then that being said, up 14, you have to win that game. Despite all that other yeah. stuff, you have to find a way to win. And I get that, and I and I, and I do. But the, the reality is when you kind of dissect things, uh, I can understand it. This team is still coming together. The positives out of it is Vanderbilt. Once he got over his nerves, he is going to be a stud. The passes that he was making, he should have had about three or four more assists had guys been able to finish. Being that big, able to 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 look over a defense is going to be beneficial. So, however bad you feel about last night, and again, I, up fourteen, you know, even up ten with you know four or five minutes left, I'm thinking, you know, okay, we bring it on home. We we we've, we've got to do that. Uh, too many empty trips.
0: That's, uh, it.
2: Too That's t- it. Too many. Too Too many times you get a possession, and you don't get a shot off, that is a horrible possession. You know, I can almost live with a missed shot, but too many unforced errors are what did this team in. And I think if you replay that game under the same circumstances with another ball handler, I mean, for a stretch out there, Diallo was running the point. And that is not a good scenario by any stretch of the imagination. (laughs) But that's kind of what we had to do, you know, for four or five minutes, six minutes at a time. And you've got Kevin Knox, who plays phenomenally, but he doesn't need to initiate the offense. So when you take all those things into consideration, it's not that bad. Had this happened with a full complement of players? Yeah. Yeah, okay, I'm freaking out. I'm with everybody else. But you have to look at kind of the bigger picture. And, and say to yourself, okay, what happened to get to this point? And um, it's, it's definitely a, a, a learning opportunity. And, you know, I love Diallo. Love him. He's, he's he's an athlete and all this. I'm not willing to jump on the bandwagon and say that he has reached Archie Goodwin uh, levels, although a lot of people are making that comparison, which I think is unfair to both players. Really unfair to Archie because, you know, I don't want to drag up, you know, the 2013 team, but Diallo's got to make better decisions. It's just, I mean, it, 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 it is what it is at this point. But there's still time. There is still time for players to click, there's, to get healthy, to get Vanderbilt into the offense a little bit. There's still time. You know, losing at South Carolina is not the death knell for this season. There's still a lot of games to play. And, and and I'm not trying to, like I said, let me keep saying, I am not overlooking the fact that we were up 14 in the second half. We've got to win that game on the road, at home, neutral site. That's a game you've got to figure out how to win. And right. So
1: and I don't, I, think, I don't think people, you know, there are people who think every loss is the end of the world. I don't think you saying what you're saying or me saying what I'm saying lets it makes us to where we're saying that. You know, just because we say it is disappointing, just because we say they should have won last night, 0-7 from the field down the stretch, no field goals in the last six minutes, and missed eight of their last ten shots, uh, a lot of one for two trips from the line or missed free throws, up 14, you know, you gotta be able to finish that one. So it is disappointing that they didn't. That doesn't mean we're saying Fire Cow and the one and done stink and all that. Just because we're talking about the loss being frustrating. So you know, you know, there's those yeah. people out there that you can't say nothing. Oh, don't say nothing. Oh, the negativity, and then you got those that are ultra negative that are way too.
0: You know, doom
1: and gloom over a loss I'm not saying we're either By us saying what we're saying is in here right now Well It's
2: like everything My dad, you say sometimes the truth is in the middle Right? You know uh, Cal's method has been successful, but it does have It's flaws, and I can certainly Appreciate when somebody says, you know There is a little bit of one and done Fatigue. I can appreciate that uh, To some extent, you know because we are dealing with the same issues year in, year out, where I can understand, you know, waiting for a team to mature, waiting for guys to get it. Okay, it's not fun, and you have games like last night. Look, games like last night are not fun. Scoring 86 points in the first half against LSU, that's fun. <laughs> you know, the, the, you know the, the 2015 team, that's fun. But – uh I saw some some feedback, you know, looking back, and I know we'll cover the NFL playoffs, but you look at the way that the Vikings game ended against the Saints, the Vikings Saints, you know, the touchdown as time expired. Those moments are so rare. The majority of the time, your team loses its last game of the season. The majority of the time, your team doesn't win a championship. The majority of the time, your team comes out on the bottom. The payoff to being a fan are those championship moments, are those moments. That's that's the payoff. What happens more often than not, as great as the Kentucky basketball program is, there are, and you can look at BigBlueHistory.net, a lot of times where we have stumbled in Columbia. We have stumbled in Knoxville with superior teams. I don't think that you can just say Cal's one-and-done has brought this about because it's just not true. Adolph Rupp lost in Knoxville with a national championship team. Joe B Hall has lost at Vanderbilt with a national championship team. It happens. Great. Not saying you can't be disappointed, because I am. You're up 14. Yeah. You're in command. You're probably... You know when when you're at that fourteen point mark, you get it to eighteen and you get a team to quit. That's kind of one of those things my dad always told me is if you're at fourteen, you've got two or three possessions to seal the game, okay? Because if you can get to eighteen or twenty, mentally, the other team usually kind of you know you've taken the wind out of the sails, if you're on the road. The hometown crowd is is out of it and everything like that. But you're at 14, and you let them get it to 10 or to 9 or to 8, now the crowd's back into it. It's a single-digit game, right? Now you're playing a little bit tighter. The home team is into it. So there's that moment, and we've talked about this with U.K. football, you know, being up in the third quarter or having the opportunity one more score. You know, one more play, right? And at that point, I will say, if you have a veteran team, you probably have someone that will go out, get the basket, get the stop. People like to go back to a a Darius Miller. Uh, But even Tyler Hewlett, you know, sophomore Tyler Hewlett a couple years ago, you get somebody that makes a play. I would love to see, I've seen some last night, I know Kevin Knox played phenomenally. Kevin Knox, go make that play. P.J. Washington, go make that offensive play. You know, get the and one, you know, get the shot, get the free throw, and let's get going. And that's a, it's a learning process. You know, I, I think a lot of these guys you're in high school, you're kind of used to teams kind of wilting. That doesn't happen. Get it to 18 or 20, it's a different ball game. But we just weren't able to get over that, that little bit of that hump uh, last night.
1: That's it. 845-277-9373 is the number. If you want to give us a call, Eight four five two seven seven nine three seven three. 277 At Cats Talk Wednesday on Facebook and Twitter. We're going to have Coach Mingeone in about 12 or 13 minutes uh, joining us at 630, so we're definitely looking forward to that. Uh, we'll take a quick break a little bit before then. I'll give him a call and – if for some reason I have a technical difficulty, which has happened a time or two, I'll, I'll text you or message you his number and where well, you can call and get us on. If if I'm struggling, does that sound like a plan? <laughs> that, that works for me. All right, but uh, I'll try to call two or three minutes before 6:30, and uh, hopefully we'll smoothly have him back on with us then. Um. And we got Florida coming in Saturday. We're talking about that as well. But we got to get to this latest championship, Terry. You and I are fans of NFL teams that are considered, you know, traditional powers, blue bloods, you know, uh, elite franchises, historic franchises as far as the NFL is concerned. And for a long time there was – that race to get one for the thumb. There was a franchise that had four titles. There was a race to try to get the five. like Cowboys, the 49ers, the Steelers, and, of course, now they have six, but all three have, quote, one for the thumb, where you got four rings, get that fifth one, one for the thumb. Kentucky Shear has that almost five times over. They got it four times over it won't be long, they'll have one for the thumb five times. They have won 23 with this recent title, their most recent title, 23 national championships now. that period. And you can, you can book it. It won't be long, they will have one for the thumb five times over. They've done it four times. You know, simple math, five times four is 20. They got 23. <laughs> they went one for the thumb four times in just a matter of time. Hank, it might be the next two years, or maybe two out of three years, you know, just at the rate that they win, that they're going to have 25 and have one for the thumbs five times over. So congratulations to Coach Thompson and the entire cheerleading team on going and winning another one. It's unbelievable. Everybody knows about the Yankees and they're 27, you know, but nobody thinks to realize or stops to realize what Kentucky cheerleading is done. You know, Cal talking about that gold standard, that's – I mean, gold standard doesn't even – How describe what Kentucky
0: cheerleaders
2: are doing? And to that
1: point about the
2: gold standard, a few years ago, uh, I forget what channel it had, uh, they had a reality show based on the Kentucky cheerleaders following around through tryouts, that kind of thing, pretty standard uh, reality show fair. One thing I didn't realize is that they have to try out every year you make it this year, you're not guaranteed next year. You're not guaranteed because you're a senior, you're going to be on the top team. I I didn't realize all that. During the tryout process, there's a certain cut period where if you make it that far trying out for Kentucky, you make it that far and get cut, you can pretty much go anywhere else in the country you want and be on the cheerleading team. That is how tough it is to be a Kentucky cheerleader. That is insane to me. <laughs> and when you just I mean it just is not you know and yes the twenty three titles are, are not but they've got I think five or six runner up trophies and I'm not sure exactly how the scoring works but it it I mean they're they're what everybody else is shooting for. You know, you you look at uh UCF Central Florida, who is the 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 number two powerhouse, and I think they've got eight or nine titles in a in a similar stretch. So it's either us or UCF. And you would think to yourself, in a twenty or thirty year period, you're UCF, you've got eight or nine titles. You that's pretty good. And the team that's ahead of you has twenty three. And, no. you know, I don't – I can't speak to the scoring. I can't speak to all that. I know when I watch it, it looks good. It's impressive. It looks really, really hard to do. The commentators that talk about it are like, when you've got somebody that's, that's seen everything and they're calling, you know, doing the color and all that, and they go an audible, wow, that's when I know. Because you're <laughs> <a few cheerleaders laughs> doing something really good. And you can catch that right. you know, when it's on ESPN and somebody says, oh, wow. It just, I mean, it is insane. Uh, so they're going to add another uh, another year to their uh, banner there in Rupp Arena. But just absolutely phenomenal. Tip your hat to all those uh, young men and young women. I mean, it is ridiculous. It is just ridiculous. 23. I don't care how you
1: slice it. That's a lot. And I guess, you know, you mentioned the, the baseball reference with the Yankees in the twenty seven and I think I think the Cardinals are second with like ten. I mean UCF is the Cardinals to Kentucky's Yankees. You're exactly right. Just looking up and in the distance way ahead you're second best but you you can't even see the tail lights in the night of the you know, the person you're trying to pursue. That's how big the gap is. It's just,
2: you know, we see them uh, at at halftime of of basketball games and at the football games, and they've got squads at all the different sporting events, and it all looks hard to me. I mean, you're lifting a human person up by one hand, and then you flip them to the other hand. I mean, it is insane what these uh, folks do. When I was in school, I worked uh, campus recreation at the Seton Center where the team practice. And I would just peek in on just some of their practices, and it's just the most insane thing I've ever seen before. And I've seen hard knocks. I have seen,
0: you know,
2: <laughs> coaches myself. I've seen it. But, I mean, because the, the practice room, just like the craft Center has the national titles for basketball on the wall, cheerleading has the same. Okay. You know, they don't even – they don't even recognize their runner-up finishes, and I remember right. Joe Mo Thompson yelling at, at the top of his lungs, "If you all want any more of these, we need to fix X, Y, and Z,
0: because he's mm-hmm. like that is that is
2: just I mean we are the best. It's it's it, yeah I I need to settle down a little bit, but we're more than just basketball. <laughs> the cheerleading team is just absolutely just mind-bogglingly good.
1: Absolutely. For sure. For sure. Um, We'll have tons more to get to as well, but we definitely had to make sure uh, we put that in 23rd National Championship. Excuse me, I got my little frog in my throat. Um, So bear with me. I'm just trying to make itself a little bit stronger as we continue to talk. But um, definitely more than welcome to call 845-277-9373 if you want to jump in. Appreciate everybody that's tuning in and checking out on Facebook Live. I went old school, brought out – I don't have a jersey collection. You do, but I brought out the old school Steve Francis Rockets, the pinstripe, uh, and we'll get to my rockets later, I'm sure. I saw what you did last night playing ball. I, I saw you went with the rockets, and uh, I saw you had jokes on Twitter. So I had to, you know, I didn't reply because I didn't see it until way after you had tweeted it. Well, so if I see a tweet from yours, then the in case you missed it, I'm like I ain't even bother with that because you probably won't reply to that because anyway It's old news. But I, I saw you, I saw you with the Clyde Drexler. And the locker room reference, so you know we have to get to that. <laughs> but I'll see you. I'll see you. <laughs> but we'll take us. We we'll take us a quick break right now, as I will attempt to call Coach Minji on and bring him on with us for a few minutes. Um, and we'll talk some UK baseball. And if I run into turbulence, I will message you his number, TB. But this is Catch Talk Wednesday, Vinnie Hardy, Terry Brown, Brandon Hardy Radio Network, BlockTalkRadio.com. Episode 168 on and popping. We plan to be right back with Coach Mingeo. Stay with us. Don't go nowhere now. mm uh... Welcome to another fun show, episode 168, the Winter Storm Inga edition, because it is cold everywhere. But the cold will not last long, and warm weather will be right around the corner, and so will baseball season. And we are honored to have the head coach of the UK baseball team, Nick Mingion, on the show with us tonight. How are you doing this evening, coach? Cool. We got Coach on. Let me message you his number, TV. Let me send it to you. We will try to get. See what has happened. A well, little technical difficulties. Let's get Coach Mingy right back here. I'm going to send it to you right now, Jay, because I thought I had him. Now, let's see if I can get you to call him real quick. There we go. Let's see if TV can give him a quick call. I had Coach right now. I don't have him on there anymore, so yeah. Apologize for that. And we should have Coach Benjeon on in just a second. And we can talk some Kentucky baseball just like we planned on doing and continue to plan on doing for just a few minutes. So bear with us, and we should have him right back. take a quick little break right now ourselves.
2: All right, we've got Coach Nick. Are you there, Vinny? Well, Coach, I'm going to go ahead and bring you on. I know you've got a full schedule. We are back here on uh, Cat Talk Wednesday. Thank you so much for joining us. We certainly appreciate it, sir. I know you're getting ready, despite the snow on the ground, you're getting ready for your upcoming season. So what, what's got you excited about getting back to the ballpark this year?
3: Well, just baseball in general, you know, uh, obviously just been here a year and a half now and just my wife and I just love Lexington and we just have a special team. This, this group since they've been back this past week and a half have just, they're, they're are fully locked in. It's a totally different team than the fall. It's like the light switch has kind of gone off and, with us being, you know, a little under 30 days away, it's kind of crazy to think about it. But um, just the team and how focused and locked in they are is really exciting.
2: And, and now this
3: this year you,
2: you've got that number
3: in front of your name. So you've got a little bit of a target when,
2: when the season starts here in, in less than the 30 days. So that's, a, that's kind of different than than where you were this time last year.
3: Oh, that's exactly right. Three of the preseason polls have come out, and they all three of them actually—it's kind of weird—they all ranked us number eight in the country. And you're right, that was different than a year ago. But you know what? I, since day one here, I, I've talked about Omaha and winning a national championship, and um, the fact that somebody puts, you know, kind of a ranking on it—it's it, good. I'm glad they think that highly of our program. But as you know, you got to go out in the field and produce. But more importantly, I think it's really good for our players. Um, just for them to even see, like, wow, okay, like the country and people are starting to recognize maybe how good we are. Um, But the expectations inside our program, I I believe, will always be greater than the ones externally.
2: Now, I had the ability to actually cover uh, the Super Regional Games uh, here in Louisville. Uh, We took on the, the, the Cardinals and I've been ranting and raving to everybody about your press conference, the press conference at the end of that last game. You had me ready to go, you know, grab my Louisville Slugger and come out there and and play for you. (laughs) So, to me, it was great because, you know, with you being your first year, but I could tell, did did you you really enjoy coaching at the University of Kentucky? Oh, I do. I love it here.
3: And you know what? I was – I fell in love with Lexington the first time I was here as an assistant. And then 2006, we won the SEC championship, the first in school history. And I just saw how much people love, like love baseball here in Lexington and throughout the state. And I just, believe it or not, this was the one place I always told my wife that uh, we I'd be back and I wanted to be the head coach here. So when that came true um, a year and a half ago, that was a special time, but that team was really special. You know, we didn't recruit hardly any of those players. And the way they embraced myself and my, my wife and our son and our coaching staff was really special. And um, they did something that's never been done before. And, you know, that's going to be the same for this year's team.
2: It, and it, it's great seeing the program at Kentucky, the program at Louisville in a state, you know, I'm born and raised here, it is baseball crazy both programs being very, very good, that, that, that's outstanding. Now, competing in the SEC, we know SEC football kind of gets a lot of the
3: headlines.
2: But SEC baseball, how grueling is that? How do you approach that kind of schedule?
3: Oh, you know what, that's why it's come. That's one of the selling points. We play the number one conference in the country. When you, you, know, when you sit there and you all this talk, with sec football right like we've heard about how many championships they've won well baseball is the same thing it's the number one conference in the country matter of fact last year in the college world series it was two sec teams in the finals just like it was in football um obviously the, the teams were different but this is a a very difficult league and the thing i love about this is not only is it the best baseball but it actually prepares our guys for the major leagues and you know what? Every guy on our roster would love to play in the big league one, one day. So, wow, what better place than the University of Kentucky to help them get them ready for the big leagues?
2: Exactly. So you're getting close to the new stadium opening up. How exciting is that for the program to kind of take a step forward?
3: Oh, you know what? It's really big. Um, and, you know, when you think about all the great facilities in the Southeastern Conference, this is going to put us up to par, right? So when you start, you know, when you start going around and you're visiting and you see some of these other schools, this is going to put us in that same ballpark. And that's really big because for our, you know, student-athletes, they're 18- to 23-year-olds, and when they go to other places and they see things that maybe we don't have, right, this is going to give us an opportunity to get on on, a level playing ground. And it's really big because, um, obviously, it's in a whole new location, one I believe that's going to be really fan-friendly, one that's going to be very visible to not only the University of Kentucky but to the city of Lexington. So we're really looking forward to it.
2: Right. It's right there with the, the softball uh, uh, stadium and the soccer field right along with the upgraded uh, Commonwealth Stadium. The facilities have just – you know, I went to UK a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> so I can just see the dramatic improvements since I've been there. Uh, so – when you, when you look at where you are as a program and, and, and you know, coming off the, the, the way the season ended against Louisville, is Louisville a measuring stick, or are you kind of just paying attention to what's going on in your own yard?
3: Yeah, we don't, we don't ever get caught up in anybody else. You know, we believe in developing our guys in three areas as a student, a person, and a player, and we wake up every day. Our coaching staff wakes up every day trying to figure out what is the best way to develop our guys and to be hooked in to our program. So um, our guys, for example, we want them to be the best students they could be. We want them to continue to make good decisions on and off the field. And it's our job to hold them accountable and teach them how to be better men. And then of course, on the baseball field. So by the time you do all that, I mean, I learned a long time ago, you you don't spend your, your time worrying about anyone else. You put your head down and you focus on your own team and your own family and Obviously, good things will happen, and they are for our program.
2: Vinny, are you there? I'm not sure what happened to to Vinny. But, Coach Nick, thank you so much for giving us a little bit of your time. Like I said, I know that you're busy and you've got a season coming up. So when when officially will the season kick off for you guys?
3: Well, we'll start in a, a what is it? That, oh, I'm I'm the, you know who am I? I'm the coach that never knows who we're playing or what until about two weeks before. Uh, but we start out we start out February 16th. We open up in Spartanburg, South Carolina, um, and you know what? From there, we'll be rocking and rolling all the way until June. So it's going to be a obviously a long ride. It's definitely a marathon. But this team has definitely got us excited. So, but to answer your question, will be February 16th. We open up in Spartanburg, South Carolina. We play at Wofford.
2: All right. Well, Coach, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate that. A little bit of technical, uh, difficulty is getting you on. But I will definitely be checking out a few games, and I will encourage everybody else to do the same for you. Okay, sir?
3: Yeah, thanks for all you guys do, and We just want the Big Blue Nation to come out and support these guys because they're a hardworking group of young men that have done awesome in the classroom, and we're going to do the same on the field. So thank you for everything. Go Cats.
2: Thank you, sir. Have a good night.
1: Are you there, i V? I'm here. Oh, okay. I was trying I don't know what happened. I was trying to get back and I heard you but I I don't know what I did, but but I appreciate you jumping in and talking with Coach. I sure do. Um, bailing us out. Uh, I tried well, to merge I, I, him know, I guess I uh, it it you know.
2: People wouldn't tune in if we didn't have any technical difficulties, but uh, he definitely was a little pressed for time, so I didn't want to keep him too long, but I, I think I said then, I'm going to say it again, that his postseason uh, or his post game uh, press conference after that Louisville game after losing in the Super Regional was fantastic. Number one, just like he said, he talked about making his players men. He talked about his family. He talked about Student athlete, and what struck me is he talked about his love of the University of Kentucky, and that's what really struck a chord with me. You know, like I, I no fool, and I'm sitting there with the other folks uh, in the media room, and I'm ready to go out there and play. You know, I'm ready to go out there and, and get ready to play. So, the expectations is a little bit different for the baseball team this year. As coach said, number eight in the three major polls, that's a bit of a target. You know, and, and going to that SEC, we've talked about it before. It's not just football. You know, men's basketball has probably been the one sport where you could say it hasn't been as grueling, but there are SEC teams competitive in every other sport, and baseball is no different. Baseball's got just, you know just as many championships amongst the SEC as everything else. You know, Mississippi State your LSUs, your Alabamas, and South Carolinas, you know, and, and, and for Kentucky to to make that next step and get to Omaha and start at home taking care of uh, winning those SEC games. So I'm definitely going to check out a lot
1: of games this year, and I hope other folks are able to do that uh, as well. Yeah, yeah. And you, we had a lot of the same questions because I was, you know, you asking about the ranking being ranked number eight. And you know, I was definitely all asked to you know, between the two of us, that was going to get asked for sure. And his approach isn't even changing, you know, whether they're ranked or not. I heard him; I was able to hear you guys, but uh, I should have hung up and maybe dialed in sooner. And I could have, if I'd have hung up and tried to call in again, maybe I could have got in sooner, but I didn't think to do, to do that until you guys were almost wrapping up. And then um, caught the tail end and jumped back in right after you guys had finished up. Um, the new stadium, of course, and and you know he's got to be fired up about it. And like you said, it's going to bring them up to par with the rest of the conference. And not that he's not going to grind and continue to do what he's been doing, but it's going to make his job easier when he brings these recruits in and they see Kentucky on par with everybody else. We saw what a good job he did. And there's no disrespect to the Cliffs and the facilities that they have. But this is the 50th and and final season of the Cliffs. And so when they get the new digs over there, the side of the softball stadium and right over there close to. It's going to stand out and it's going to pop and and impress the kids uh, that they bring in. Uh, He's recruiting in the state of Kentucky because there's a lot of talent in Kentucky so you bring the kids there to see that. That's going to be something else. Um, And so, like you said, it won't be long, 30 days, you all talked about, till it's actually time to start, you know, playing some games. So everybody is excited. Definitely going to go back up and see some games at the Cliffs. Uh, I think they come down to Tennessee this year because they didn't last year uh, because Coach Henderson's last year went over there and, and watched him play down here. So if they come to Tennessee, I'm going to do that again. Uh, so the, the excitement is there, and he's generated all of it. You know, his attitude, talking about Omaha from the get-go, it, it spread to the players, and it just spread to the fan base, and they rode that wave all the way to the regionals that you covered right there, and you just talked about with his press conference uh, at the end of the season last year, so. Uh, everybody's ran to go to see baseball again, and it just kind of carried us right into the summer. You know, you finish up with March Madness, then you kind of everybody wait for football, and then everybody rode the baseball wave on into the summer this past year. So that was a nice new change that we normally don't experience as baseball fans for Kentucky. Well, well
2: and, and keep in mind that uh, Coach Lawson and the softball team – they didn't make it to the. Yeah, they made it to the super regional because they went out to uh, both softball and baseball. Softball, you remember, a few years ago, were not that far removed from them making the women's college world series. So we are looking at, at having a season that goes deep into June with both of these coaches. I know, Mitch
0: Barnhart, gets yeah.
2: a lot of of whatever. There's some folks that just aren't going to be happy with. Yeah. But let me just say, and I know he's had some you know, hiring misses, you know, every A D does, but the coaches he brings in, you talk to any one of these coaches for five minutes and you're gonna be ready to play. We make fun of Coach Cow and all his kind of stuff, but when he starts, you know, post game or whatnot, you can buy into what he's done a little bit. Stoops is getting a lot better. But Coach Nick, Coach Lawson, Coach Floreal, all those coaches, Coach Skinner, they're fired up, they're excited, they're having some success on the field or court, whatever it is, and they're all happy to be wildcats. You know, Coach Nick, that's what he said. You know, he said, I was here before, and I knew I wanted to come back and be a head coach. That's the guy you want to bring in. (laughs) <laughs> with, you know, who is saying, hey, I want to be a part of that. I want to bring some success to the University of Kentucky. That's fantastic. So he's got me ready. I'm going to cover as many games as I can. I know they play the home-and-home home series with Louisville. I definitely want to do that uh, and do some softball uh, this year. Um, but they've got to make that next step, you know, and the next step is Omaha. <laughs> the next step is the World Series. And I think they
0: can I think they can
1: get there. Um, but they've got to go out there and play. Definitely. Um so huge thanks to Coach Jones for taking the time, because he's about to be on, you know, Coach Cal's show. It comes on at seven. Uh Coach Minjoan, Coach Mitchell, Coach Cal, uh they're all gonna be there at the Champions Kitchen. So he definitely uh had that on his agenda. Uh a bigger and Brighter event than our show But he still took the time to hop on And talk uh, To us along the way Appreciate you jumping in And saving All the technical difficulties And getting the interview in And getting some questions in with Coach So appreciate that Hope everybody out there listening Enjoyed it as well Uh, What's this on Twitter You and Michelle Morton Talking about something about the Dallas Cowboys cheerleader What's, What's going on with that what did you say for her to say that?
2: Oh, uh, about the Dallas, making the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders. Have you not seen that reality show? i watched a little bit of it. Oh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. It's tough. It's tough to do it. Although I say that's more dance and choreography than the stunt work. That would be my difference. But, yeah, you know, Laker girl, Dallas Cowboy cheerleader, you know, there's just some of those iconic – Name in the yeah. I don't know, cheerleading arena. Um Greater yeah. yeah, It's so I guess they'd
1: be in there too.
2: Yeah the 49 Yeah, the 49ers have the gold rush and, and that kind of thing. Uh yeah. But yeah, I, I would say that being a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader would be would be up there, you know, with that kind of cutoff absolutely, you
1: know
2: Dallas okay. has got to win something something.
1: Ah, see, I knew. I, I, I thought she had a joke, but there you are with a joke. Okay, but I, I'm, I'm up. I'm up to speed now. I'm, I'm up. To, <laughs> I'm,
0: up
1: <coughs> I'm up to speed. Excuse me. Um. So yeah, fun, fun segment and a half there, as well. Um. It's just the transition because I know. We we hadn't got to it, and kind of since both have happened recently, uh, the the passing of Dick Enberg and Keith Jackson. I uh, went ahead and mentioned Dick, but now we saw Keith Jackson pass as well, and you know we kind of date ourselves. But those are two voices that we grew up with. Not only were they versatile and were able to to call any sport. And of course, Keith Jackson, the voice of college football, but he did so much in addition to that. Dick Engberg kind of the voice for me. I mean, we remember with the tennis, kind of the voice for me with the you know football as well, especially playoff games. Both of them, you know, uh, Dick was 82 and Keith was 89. Both just passed recently, and. You know you can't you can't forget those voices. For me, for football, it was Keith Jackson on Saturday, John Madden on Sunday. If Keith Jackson was doing whatever big college football game you're watching, I, you were you were glued to it. And then don't let John Madden be doing a Cowboys game on a Sunday afternoon. Same thing. Now, they're they're both on that same plane uh, when it comes to that. But definitely uh, sad to see the passing of those two gentlemen. The Inver Keith Jackson? Keith
2: Jackson, and like you said, he did a lot of things, but for me, he, he was college football. And when you look at ESPN in the mid-90s when you and I were younger gentlemen and the catchphrases and, and all that kind of stuff, it goes back to Keith Jackson setting that tone with his woe Nellies and I just remember the way he used to say Alabama, and he would just paint this picture. You know, you'd be watching this game between, you know, Alabama and Georgia whoever, and it felt like you were just watching your hometown team. Even though you're not a fan of either team,
0: he brought you
2: into it. And Keith Jackson calling the Rose Bowl for all those years, the star of the broadcast, the granddaddy of them all, Just, he describes the mountains you can see from Pasadena and the the weather. Like he would just set this tone, and it sounds crazy. You're watching it on TV, but he's making the picture even more clear with his words. The one thing that really stands out to me, because I got lost in the YouTube of Keith Jackson highlights, uh, as we do, you know, when someone passes, when a musician passes, you kind of listen to all their music and all that went down a little rabbit hole, and the best thing about Keith Jackson is he didn't overtalk the moment. It was when you watch some of his highlights, it's like he already knew the outcome of the play and was just doing a highlight package of it. The one that stands out to me, and I'm going to try to retweet this out, was Desmond Howard's punt return, Ohio State, where he struck the Heisman post. What's notable in that there are gaps where he's not saying anything, as the crowd is rising. He is leaving the space for you to hear the Michigan Stadium crowd crescendo upwards, and he slowly but surely brings the moment on home. And that's what really separates the the good play-by-play guys with the um, with the really great ones. And for those of us that watch a lot of sports on TV Like you and I do You can't really see a highlight Without hearing you know, Keith Jackson or Dick Enberg's voice On that highlight And, and you know uh, I was glad it was kind of fitting His last game was that Great Rose Bowl game uh, Between USC And Texas And just his, his coverage Of Vince Young that game I mean he brought gravitas if it was BYU versus Colorado, you know, uh, in September. But for that Rose Bowl, it felt like an event when you
1: were watching it with Keith Jackson.
0: Yeah,
1: <clears throat> the granddaddy of them all, like you say, the, uh, the way he said Alabama, um, whoa, Nelly for him, and oh, my, for Dick Enberg. uh And they just both brought it right into your living room each and every week for years and years. Uh, speaking of, we'll transition again, but keep it on a similar level, coming right into our living room, you mentioned the 90s, and that was, you know, still watch SportsCenter and the STM now, but back then you watched it all the time, watched it religiously, watched Center in the morning if you had free time, over and over.
0: This <laughs> Sunday,
1: after the... <laughs> After the AFC and NFC title games, I don't know how many times we've referenced prime time since you and I have been doing this show, Chris Berman, Tom Jackson, um, and how that was must-see TV. And, you know, if the 4 o'clock game was still going on, you know, if it, was, if it wasn't your team and the game was already decided, you flipped on over. Prime time because you're going to find out the score to that last 4 o'clock game anyway uh, that you're watching. But we get a primetime reunion with the Chris Berman and Tom Jackson getting together again this Sunday along with Keith, uh, Keyshawn Johnson after the title game. So that will be a point of television Sunday evening to see those two back together doing it one more time because – if you're a certain age, that's all you knew. And just as sad as we were when uh, when the first, you know, Tom stepped away. And now and Chris stepped away. And even the way they kind of turned it into the blitz, it wasn't even the same before both of them ended up leaving. To get Prime time back for, you know, in full effect for a Sunday evening, you know, can't wait, man. Can't wait. I'm excited about that. You know, we have talked about it. We've had
2: Russell Baxter on, that worked on the show, kind yes. of give us the behind-the-scenes stuff on that. I, I think what sets the real great ones apart, and I know, you know, it's, it's using the, the sparseness of the language, but when you have a, uh, a, a duo like that is how they play off each other. And it never felt forced. With Berman and Jackson I'm glad they're bringing it back I don't know in today's landscape If it would work for An every week Situation like it did You know 15-20 years ago I saw that news I'm excited I'm going to flip over To ESPN
0: Because I yeah. hear
2: that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that highlight It could have been you know, the Oilers versus the Rams, you know, whatever. But, again, <laughs> that music and Berman and Jackson made every highlight feel important. So even if your team was yeah. garbage and they scored a touchdown, felt like it was the Super Bowl because it was <laughs> rumbling So I'm excited about that. I think it's a good nod to, to bring that back and for ESPN to kind of remind us older folks hey, remember when, you know, ESPN was appointment
1: viewing. So uh, I'm definitely excited about that. And, you know, Berman, of course, you know, was ahead of his time and, and the clever usage of nicknames, and he also would, you know, work in, you know, the songs, rock songs and stuff of his era, you know, all into his delivery. But then he would, of course, like you say, let let Tom – Handle the concise football expertise. We'd also let Tom, you know, anytime anybody, you know, we know. Look, you get on me about how about Harlan County. We know how you are about your last name Brown, and don't let it be somebody T Brown. Berman did the same thing with Jackson. Anybody last name Jackson, Tom was going to do that hee hee, the little Michael Jackson hee hee for right in time with whatever play. Jackson was making on that particular highlight on prime time. And then he did the same thing, you know, anytime. And of course we know, as Kentucky fans, we know about the robbery, but Tom was a great player at Louisville. And George, I know your dad remembered him. My dad remembered Tom. And, you know, my dad basically with those linebackers, the great ones, you know, he would say it about Willow Lanier. You said about Tom Jackson, he said, you know, Tom Jackson would knock your head off. And if the Broncos maybe win one of a couple of those Super Bowls, you know, the one in 77 they lost to the Cowboys, or the one where your Niners, I think, beat them or made the Redskins, if they win one or two of those, maybe Tom Jackson's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, We know how many Steelers went because they beat my Cowboys twice. My Cowboys win a couple of those, maybe it's more Cowboys. In the Hall of Fame. Not that it should have that much weight, but it kind of does. But Tom was a very good player. But anytime a player from Louisville also would make a highlight on primetime, you know, Berman would pause and say, from, and of course Tom Jackson would say, Louisville. You know, I, and I can't help but think Ernest Gibbons with those Oilers that you mentioned was always making plays in that running shoot offense, catching passes from Warren Moon, and always getting that Louisville shout out from Tom Jackson and Mark Clayton.
2: Uh yeah. of, of from way back when. So I'm excited about that. Uh definitely. So are we are we talking NFL playoffs? Yes. Yes. Well your thoughts I, I, I on touched the on this, I touched on it earlier, talking about the, the Saints and the uh and the Vikings. I had that totally reversed. Uh the outcome, but man, your heart has to go out to think Pete because sports can be cool. I, I you like I said earlier, you, you watch and you wait for the championship payoff, but you know I I, I think losing, like for Kentucky basketball going thirty eight and one losing the final four it hurts, but it doesn't. I think it doesn't hurt as much as if. We didn't have any championships before that, right? We can absorb that uh, because we've got uh, Cameron Mills' shot, right? We can absorb the Christian Leitner shot because we've got Goose Givens. You know, Get so it kind of balances each other out. But with, but with New Orleans, yes, they won the Super Bowl, and for just the fan base to kind of stay together like they did after Katrina, You know, you can't really talk about the Saints in this run with Drew Brees without bringing up that catastrophe, that non-football-related catastrophe. Um, So that was tough. I I just, you know, we can dissect the last play that the uh, defensive back Williams made. Was it the right play, the wrong play? Should he have done X, Y, and Z? you just – it's really hard for me to to, uh, to get on a young man for making that play in that situation. I, I just don't know how you can – now, to his credit, afterwards he was very stand-up about it and, and talked at length about the play. Uh, it was just a great play. And it's unfortunate that we live in an era where there's got to be, you know, who won it, who lost it. It can't just be a great play on the part of the Vikings. Somebody's got to uh, answer for it on the Saints. So that was that was definitely
1: tough. Now the Steelers, yeah,
0: and, we talked about he, this.
1: You know, I was just jumping real quick on the Saints. He, you know, you hit and hit. You can't hit what you can't see. Maybe they were telling him, "Don't get a pass interference," or, or just don't, you know, don't get a penalty. Don't do this. Don't do that. And, you know, we we were on Big Blue Views Mondays. We got to talk about this a little bit. And now we're going into a little more detail now. But even if he hits and gets a pass interference there or whatever, the the Vikings are still probably going to have to just run up and try to kick a field goal from there, which still would not have been a gimme. you know. So, And if he makes it, tip your cap. But, you know, he's a rookie... And he had had a great game. He had already had a pick just when it was looking bleak for New Orleans. And everybody's kind of wondering, when is Mike Zimmer going to give Case Keenum props? Case Keenum heaves up that duck. And Marcus Williams picks it off. And then everybody's like, oh, that's why Mike Zimmer's reluctant to give Case Keenum props. So he had a good game. I was listening to Jim Rohn, and, and I know we get to the rest of the playoffs the games, and like you go to the Steelers next. Julio Jones is quoted saying that's kind of the life of an athlete. There's going to be good plays. There's going to be bad plays. We know he was – we'll talk about him when we get to Falcons and Eagles. There's highs and there's lows. Marcus Williams isn't going to be the only guy to go through this. This is about the lowest of the lows for him right now. But you think back, we're talking about the Saints. Look at another Saints DB just a few years ago. Look at Tracy Porter. The highest of the high when he's intercepting Peyton Manning in the Super Bowl for a pick six. A couple years later, he's on the wrong end of that Marshawn Lynch stiff arm in Seattle where he just, you know, head slaps him like Deacon Jones right to the ground on his way to that touchdown. Highs, lows. Hopefully Marcus Williams will have a high. We've seen his low already in his rookie season it's gonna stick with him for a long time. Hopefully he will have a high a, a play where there can be some jubilation to 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 knock off some of what he's having to deal with right now. But I didn't mean to cut you off, but you know, I just wanna talk about you since then and definitely I know you're going to the Saints and Jack next. Well
2: about that everybody has that moment. Chris Weber with the timeout, yeah. mm-hmm. uh Bill Buckner, whatever. And, and you can, like, he's had a lot of support. You can learn from it, and 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 make that a footnote. Uh, but, it, it, but he's still young enough; his narrative can change. You know, people don't believe me. These younger people don't believe me when I talk about, you know, Michael Jordan. Seven or eight years, people swore he was never going to win a title.
0: Yeah, over. Oh, hands
2: <laughs> He was too flashy, and you know getting put out by the pistons year after year, he had a lot of failures, right, and that narrative
0: changed. Mm-hmm.
2: it it it's just it's too easy to kind of say this was going to hang with him forever. you know, I can think of lots of players missing big shots, making bad plays it It happens uh
0: I'm,
1: I'm not afraid to LeBron, say this. I'm not afraid to say this. Since you gave me grief last week for not bringing it up, and, and I thought you would, I'm not afraid to say Everson Walls has had a very low low. And we're talking about the catch. As you rubbed it in to be for these past 10 days and it's been the anniversary of the catch, Everson Walls was at his lowest point because he was the one covering Dwight Clark on that catch. Uh, but he's now been added to the list to potentially make the Hall of Fame, so hopefully that will happen for him. But no doubt, he still remembers that play as your 49ers went on to win the NFC Championship and go on to the Super Bowl. So he knows what Marcus Williams is dealing with. And there you go. I brought up your Cowboys of the ers courtesy of Dwight Clark. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, it was the anniversary last week.
2: But, look, every athlete, if you are playing any kind of sport, you know, if you're playing tennis, someone is going to score an ace on you, right? If you're playing baseball, you are going to get struck out. If you're a pitcher, someone's going to hit a home run off of you. It's going to happen. You play basketball, you're going to get dunked on. It's just everybody, it happens to everybody. If you're a defensive back, you are going to get burned. Deion Sanders got burned. And, and, you, and a lot of people put him as kind of number one uh, quarterback all time. He got burned. You know, Ed Reed made some mistakes. It happened. It happened. Uh, so all you can do is just, you know, short term memory, come back the next year. And, and you know, if you make that big time interception, you know, that bad play gets forgotten about.
1: Definitely. Steelers-Jags, because I know he going there next, so jump right on in. Uh, I didn't think that the,
2: the Jags were going to go into uh, Heinz Field, and, and really, I mean, they bullied the Steelers, which is odd because for 40 years, the Steelers have done the bullying. The Steelers Damn. and the Smash Mouth style going back to the 70s, they have been the aggressors. They have been the ones to beat people up. But the Jags did it. And they did it with their with their defense and and, and Blake Bortles doing kind of the bare pinnacle. That's weird that it's Blake Bortles versus Tom Brady in the A C championship. That is just weird, but it happened. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. Does Pittsburgh this is this is they're at that weird stage. Where does Big Ben have one more year, two more years? When do they have to start thinking about the next quarterback? Because you got Bell, and you got Antonio Brown, you got uh, Juju. Uh, so they've got so they got mm-hmm. some questions to answer. But the Jags going into uh, Pittsburgh and really taking the fight to the Steelers, you have to think where the Steelers looking ahead to so the Patriots. Did that become an issue? Or, as we've seen, did the Jags just have their number this year? Did, is it something the Jags are doing to really slow Pittsburgh down? I wasn't as shocked that the Jags won, but I'm pretty shocked that it was. It got kind of close at the end, but they really took the fight to the Steelers. That was the shock on my part. Yeah,
1: I so, thought, you know, like, like you said, after – you know, winning thirty to nine in the regular season, and, you know Pittsburgh coming off a bye, facing a team that embarrassed them like that, and then to get down twenty-one to nothing—that was that was going to be the surprise of the weekend until we saw what happened with the Saints, you know, with the last play of that game. But you know, they they woke up and and rallied, but to digging that twenty-one nothing hole was just too much to overcome. And then there was still some some head-scratching things that um, the Steelers did. You know, fourth and ones, short yard situations, they were running wide. You got Roethlisberger and Le'Veon Bell, just, you know, quarterback sneak, you know, Big Ben's biggest quarterback in the league. You can just lean and get you that yard. Uh, they tried to pass one time and get cute. They tried to run Le'Veon Bell east and west. So those things were were a little bit puzzling. Then when it's 42 to 35, they kick an onside kick, and Jacksonville doesn't have to do much of anything to get in field goal range, kick a field goal, and put them up 10, which allowed them to handle Pittsburgh scoring another touchdown, make it 45-42. Kick it deep and get a stop, and then you're going to tie not going in to cut it to three and try to onside kick again. So it was some, some puzzling things that Pittsburgh was doing. I'm sure, you know, Jeff Drummond and Freddie Magger and some of these Steelers fans that we know uh, are a little bit worried about that or, or wondered about that as the season comes come to an end for Pittsburgh, who I thought would be the best chance to beat New England and keep them from going to the Super Bowl. But Jacksonville is, is extremely confident. Ball game playing New England, but you know they're coming in confident and gonna give it their best shot. Um, so we'll see what happens. But you know to go in there and do that again to Pittsburgh to show that it was not a fluke was very surprising.
2: Yeah, I mean they they really just they they you know they they beat them up <laughs> for for of like yeah. better uh, phraseology uh, talking about New England. Um, love them, hate them. You know, here the Patriots are uh, again, uh, right back in the uh, championship game. Um, I, I like I said, love them or hate them, they, they they're becoming kind of the Alabama football of the AFC and of the NFL.
0: You, you, you just
2: every time you want to write them off and and and, and and kind of move on to the next thing. Here they are, right back at championship weekend. Now I'm not going to bet against the Jags. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to uh, uh, write off the Jags. I should say I'm not going to say that you know the Patriots are going to you know, walk right into the Super Bowl because the Jags they're confident in their defense, and I think if they can get to Brady, which has been a little bit easier this year. I think they can make a game of it. Because like with Big Ben, he's he's older and 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 Ben kinda of holds on to the ball a little too long and I think he's taken a look he took up some hits that he you know probably wouldn't have taken two or three years ago. If the Jags can do that strangely enough, Blake Bortle can start a super bowl game. Woo! <laughs> Complete, complete changing of the guards when you look at the quarterback position with these Final Four. Case Keenum, Blake Bortles, Nick Foles,
1: and Tom Brady. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> unbelievable. Um, and, you know, Belichick will have some, some mind games for Bortles, but, you know, for is alone, like you said, it's the young and up-and-coming team. You know, They don't know what they don't know. Jalen um, Ramsey, you talk about cornerbacks, they all get burnt, they all have this and that. He is flying as high as you can fly right now, making plays, uh, doesn't back down from anybody. You know, saw him getting into A.J. Green and uh, saw him making the diving interception last week or the week before uh so Calais Campbell, veteran on the defensive line, uh is kinda of leading the way for him. So like you said, if they can get some pressure to Brady, we saw the Super Bowls when the Giants were able to beat them, uh Justin Tuck and all those guys, your manure and all those guys were able to just get in there and put some licks on Brady. Uh and we saw how that that just Threw off everything that the Patriots were about. So Jacksonville's capable of that. Um, going up to New England will probably be frigid temps. Well, they'll have to overcome all of that. But you know, it, it it just sounds weird saying that it wouldn't be a a super shock if they pulled it off, even though it would be a heck of an upset. And, and
2: getting back to the NFC. Uh, Philadelphia over Atlanta. I'm surprised Atlanta made it back like they did. Uh, Because not only having that Super Bowl loss hangover, we kind of see the Super Bowl losers not quite get back to that level. You know, there was that stretch. You lost the Super Bowl, and most of the time you didn't even make it back to the playoffs. But the Falcons got it back. And I'm no X and O's guy when it comes to football. But with your season on the line, the play they called for the Julio Jones—it there had to be a better play than that. Your Matt Ryan, you're inside the pin, How do you put it out of reach of six foot three, six foot four, Julio Jones with his thirty-something inch vertical? How do you put it out of reach right there? It. it, it I don't know. I, I, I just thought there could have been something different that could have been done. Uh, you know, what that is, again, I'm not an extra nose guy. But, but for the Falcons to come back as far as they did this year, I, I really didn't think they were going to be able to do it. Being up 28-3 to from the Super Bowl last year, I don't know how you come back from that. But they did, to their credit. And uh, just to have it all kind of fall apart against Philadelphia, Uh, with Nick Foles being serviceable. That's a strange thing uh, uh, about this is Nick Foles, Case Keenum, those two guys squaring off are names that don't move the needle. You know, Bortles was a high draft pick. I think he's the highest draft pick of the remaining four. You know, Tom Brady came into the league. We all know sixth round, you know, 12th quarterback chosen, yada, yada, yada. That story has been told. But, but Case Keenum, you know, he kind of came in and set some records. You know, not really a franchise guy. It moved around a little bit. Nick Foles as, as well kind of stumbled into the starting position uh, with, um, I'm blanking on the Philadelphia quarterback, Carson Wentz going down. And a lot of people, yeah. myself included, just thought with Wentz being down, there goes Philadelphia. But Foles was proving us. Wrong. I think Case Keenum was kind of a stopgap with Sam Bradford and the Vikings not knowing what uh, Teddy Bridgewater's long term prognosis was going uh, to be. But to see those guys kind of match up in the NFC Championship game, I, I, I think is huge uh, as well.
1: And, you know, the, the Falcons, I thought they had enough to go and beat the Rams, and they did. And Going into Philly, you you probably thought they would have you know been experienced should have been able to win that. The last play, I mean, and and you know he was Julio was well covered. He fell down running his route and had to get up and then you know battle for position with uh, the basketball fifty-fifty ball. Had he caught it, he would have had a heck of a time getting both feet in bounds. Uh, but I kind of put that on you know, Steve Sarkeesian, they ended up having a decent season. They weren't able to go back to the Super Bowl like they wanted to, but they were just never quite right all season long. I mean, they year before last, they tore the league up with Matt Ryan, with Julio Jones, and I forget how long coming into this season that Julio was sitting on, I don't know, no touchdowns. He didn't to get his first touchdown of the season. I know he gets double covered, and everybody's trying to take him away, but it's still Julio Jones. And the only difference primarily from the Falcons this year and the Falcons last year was offensive coordinator. You know, your guy, uh, Shanahan now, used to be the coordinator last year, and then Steve Sarkeesian. That's the main difference. And they just weren't able to fire on all cylinders like they did last year and surprisingly, Sarkeesian, they've already said that they're going to bring him back for another year. I kind of thought, well, they only scored 10 points in the playoff game against the Eagles. I thought, well, they're going to be making a change in parting ways and all that. You hear all that stuff this time of year. So-and-so and so, so-and-so part ways. You know, the Titans and their coach parted ways. They won a playoff game in Kansas City. Lost to the Patriots like everybody thought they would. He's not being brought back. I kind of thought that would be the case for Sarkeesian, but they've already said they're bringing him back. Uh, So maybe they can get it going again next year. But, you know, Sarkeesian, you know, he's been a head coach in college, been a coordinator for Saban, had kind of a bumpy road, but he's able to get a year two in Atlanta, so good for him. Yeah, Atlanta, like you said,
2: the offense never really – look like it should have. You, you looked at the ingredients and you said, this team should be doing more. And I don't know. Like I said, I'm not an X's nose kind of guy, but you would think Julio would have been a little bit more effective or they could have, you know, schematically done something. Cause you know, Julio is going to get uh, covered in the end zone in that situation. There's got to be action on the backside Uh again, because I'm a 49er homer, going back to Super Bowl 23, with the touchdown that John Taylor had, you know, Jerry Rice, again, Super Bowl 23, 11 catches, 215 yards, the touchdown to Super Bowl MVP. But on that last play, he was double-covered with safety over the top and drug a lot of folks away so John Taylor could make that play. So I don't know if it was something Sarkeesian drew up, like it's got to go to Julio or Matt Ryan kind of locked into it, even after the the stumble that Julio had lost in the end zone. I, I I don't know. But we're at the Final Four, and really it, it's a crapshoot. I, I, any one of the combinations, you know, Eagles-Patriots, Eagles-Jaguars, or, you know, Jags and the uh, – uh, Vikings, Vikings, and the Patriots. At this point, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know how you set up who's going to be. I I think you probably give uh, New England the the edge, but it's really a clapshoot
1: on on the rest of the game. Will the Vikings return to Minneapolis to be the first NFL team ever to play a Super Bowl in its home stadium? They got to get by the Eagles in Philly and they will make history as far as that goes. Yeah, I, you know, I, I thought when I thought announced that
2: when uh, the 49ers, Levi Stadium, was going to host the Super Bowl, that was when Harbaugh was still the coach, and I thought that the 49ers would have a good shot at that. Uh, that is a weird kind of quirk for the Super Bowl. Um
0: but when you think all
2: the Bowls they had in Miami kind of after the Dolphins' heyday, uh, Jack Murphy Stadium in San Diego was a site. Chargers worked very good. <laughs> you yeah. know, New Orleans has been a site A lot. Tampa. And, and the have, yeah, and Tampa has been, uh, you know, playing uh, at Ford Field in Detroit, you know. <laughs> uh you know. <laughs> That's kind of a safe bet that that these that the home teams weren't gonna weren't gonna make it, uh, you know,
1: AT and T Field.
2: Mm-hmm. Obviously, the Cowboys weren't gonna make it to the Super Bowl.
1: Yeah. So, they weren't <laughs> any good. They had a terrible year. <coughs> they were terrible
2: that uh, year for sure. I, uh-huh. but, but the crazy thing is, uh, I saw this. Even if the Vikings make it to the Super Bowl, they will be the road team. Because it's the NFC's
1: year to be
2: the road team of the Super Bowl. Oh, I didn't know
1: that. It, I, I it be so, you though. know. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't even. I didn't think, think about that. And that doesn't even. I mean, so be it. <laughs> I mean, that would not even matter, you know, as far as just, you know, how the crowd at Super Bowl is always corporate. You don't have real fans of either team in there. You just have people in there just to be in there. I mean, the home field advantage for Minnesota, and for for any NFL team for that matter, but the Vikings are always and have been passionate for their team for years. They didn't lose four Super Bowls in a row like the Bills, but they have lost four Super Bowls as a franchise. It's been a while since they've been. But they've been to the four and lost them all, so they are hungry, you know and they you've still got to go to Philadelphia and win. We thought the Falcons would have gone to Philadelphia and win, so I'm not saying it's gonna be easy for the Vikings, but you know to know they're one game away from going back and being the road team in that new stadium uh it will be it' will be something else, and uh. The home field advantage they would have facing New England or Jacksonville, whoever, it'd be incredible. The state of Minnesota would just be on its ear if the Vikings are playing in the Super Bowl for the first time in probably the '80s, thirty-something. It's been years since they've made it. They've been to some NFC title games, you know, back when Farmers was there, but it's been years since they made. It. I want to think maybe the Raiders or somebody, Marcus Allen ran all over them or something the last time they were in the Super Bowl. So for them to get back and be in this brand new stadium, boy, that would be something. I I think it's I think it's older than that. I'm gonna take a look. But yeah, but the Vikings they're, they're
2: Minnesota. We remember they had great teams. They had uh you the, know the, the the Chris Carter, Randy Moss, Randall Cunningham, Robert Smith teams. They had defenses with Chris Stolman you know, the, the the Bears and the Vikings and the Norse division going back to Chris New, uh 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 Chris Berman. Uh so John, people easy to forget. Yeah, yeah. And he actually went into the Hall of Fame the same year as uh, Jerry Rice and
1: um Emmett something from Dallas. So he was that,
2: was that dude, was,
1: John Randall was a dude now. He was something now. I mean <laughs> You talk about raw, intense, motor. You know, I never was a Vikings fan, but, you know, whenever they would be on, maybe the Sunday night game on ESPN after primetime, you see him warming up and just absolutely losing his mind with the eye black and just just stalking around the old uh, Metrodome back in the day. Uh, You see NFL films where he's wired up, and it's just – I can watch that all day. The, The mic'd up shows. Love it. When he was mic'd up, just just energy just bursting out of him all the time. It was cool, man. I always liked John Randall. Yeah, the Vikings with the Purple People Eater, they went to uh, four
2: Super Bowls in the 70s is what I'm looking at at here. Um, 69,
0: 73,
2: 74, and 76 and got tripped up. Um, they did win you the got,
1: NFL championship. Jim, okay. What's you that? got Jim Marshall, Allen Page, all those old yeah. legends, Fran Targerton, Amar Rashad, you know, uh, Herschel Walker was up there for a minute. You mentioned Robert Smith. They had a lot of great players up there. Um, Jared, oh, man, do play for the Chiefs, and then went there defensive end. Uh, he's like a he like breeds bulls now. Jared Allen was up there. Favre, they've got a ton of great players. So you know the turnout. All those old guys will be back. You already know that. Uh, Randy Moss will be back. They'd all be there in their jerseys on the sideline if the Vikings get back to the Super Bowl. <laughs> the scene would just be incredible if they're able to go to Philly and win. Absolutely.
2: in Philadelphia, you know, let's not overlook Philadelphia and those fans and their love for their city. I know the fans in Philly get a lot of heat, booing Santa Claus, cheering injuries and that kind of thing. But uh, the Eagles, you know, they've been to two previous Super Bowls and come up short. And I know that that whole city will be ready for for a championship because it's been a while since the Phillies won uh, their
1: World Series,
2: and it's been a while. So I I know the Eagles fans will
1: uh, will be ready for them as well. Yeah, I think it was 08 or 09 when the Phillies beat Tampa Bay, I think, in the World Series. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I give Philadelphia, you know, grief for, uh, you know, not holding their weight in the NFC East. Um, and when they're one game away as well, the road is a lot harder without Carson Wentz, but they came out and held serve at home after a bye week, unlike the Steelers. So they put themselves in position to get to the Super Bowl. Uh, they're in the Final Four. With Nick Foles. They handle no business against the Falcons, so uh, it's going to be fun. I'll go ahead. I'm going to say Vikings. I'll say Vikings and Patriots. Uh, I hope it's Jaguars. Everybody's outside of New England's pulling for Jacksonville, but I'll say Vikings and Patriots It's who we'll be talking about this time next Wednesday. I'm gonna go Eagles and Patriots. I
2: definitely want to see uh, the Jags uh, win, <laughs> but it, it, it's hard to bet against Tom Brady at home. I know he's lost home games in the playoffs, obviously, but it's just kind of hard for me to see that happening. Uh, That's going to be a pretty pretty good Super Bowl. Uh, I would I would say you know I can watch Super Bowl at ease with ease. Uh, that's just one thing you can do when your team's not in it. Uh, when your team's in the Super Bowl, it's not very fun. You know, beyond just, you know, winning and losing, your team in the Super Bowl, it's just because the game is just, it's long and, you know, you're watching it and people talking about the commercials and you're like, I just want my team to win. <laughs> so, yeah. I'll be able to kick back and, and, and relax
1: regardless of who, uh, who's in it. Right, right. Um. And flipping back, like you said, no matter what sport you're playing, at, at some point everybody eventually gets got. You know, you get struck out, you give them a home run, you get your shot blocked, you get dunked on, um, you know, pick it back to Morning, and Patrick Ewing. especially if you're a true center, you're going to get gotten. Um, and that was the case the other day. We had some cat-on-cat crime. We've seen it before. And with so many cats in the league, it's bound to happen from time to time. But the Pelicans were in Madison Square Garden. Anthony Davis was showing out, and he showed out again against the Celtics. But DeMarcus Cousins was bringing the ball up and kind of got stuck in no man's land where he went to make a pass, Anthony Davis, realized that Davis wasn't ready for the pass, There was going to be a turnover, and he picked the dribble up, and now you're about to travel. So he just kind of threw the ball and just kind of, ugh, and and tossed it just in the air. And Christos Porzingis picks it up because it was about to be, you know, it looked like a pick-and-roll with Cousins and Davis, and you had Porzingis and Cantor on defense. A.D. wasn't looking to catch the pass. Cousins was caught, so he just had to get rid of the ball we got Porzingis and Cantor coming down 2-on-1 on on Boogie. Porzingis gives it up to Cantor, and Cantor dunks all over Cousins. So it was cat-on-cat crime. Enos gave him a little stare, too, but it was just a bad sequence all around for Boogie with the turnover and then getting posterized. But it was, you know, I was like, man, because, you know, cat-on-cat crime happens, and... Enos, Enos Enos flushed on him, man. That was nasty. It was. It was. So are we talking NBA? I, I mean, that was the baptism. That's your word. I didn't say it, but that. I mean, I had to talk about that cat-on-cat cat baptism. So yeah, NBA. We just, you know.
2: So, you know, I played basketball last night, and I had on my Houston Rockets Clyde Drexler jersey. And the reason I had on my Houston Rockets jersey, not only am I giving a shout-out to you, Vinny, my co host if things would have gone south last night, I would have gone in the opposing team's locker room and tried to pick a fight. And I wanted to make sure I was dressed
1: appropriately for such an action. <laughs> Man,
2: that, that's just that's just crazy, uh, the, the, the Chris Paul going back to Play the Clippers, and just that—that's just that's nuts. That's just a crazy situation. How it even got to that point—I'm sure there's more to it than what has, has been out uh, in the media. But that's just a—that's just a crazy situation. As, as a Rockets fan, when you saw that, what did you think about?
1: As a Rockets fan, I'm saying beat the Clippers. That's what – look, we've seen – we've heard stories every now and then about, you know, meet me at game or somebody trying to get at somebody in the tunnel and security having to, you know. It doesn't happen often, but from time to time we have seen or heard about stuff like that happening. Look, you want to fight the Clippers in the locker room, after the game or go through some secret tunnel in the Staples Center, where was that at in the third quarter? Where was that in the fourth quarter? You know, because this is twice now. I know it's a long season, and I know you lose games, but this is twice that you have a decent lead against the Clippers, once in Houston, once in L.A., and the Clippers have come back and won both games. So that's that's my thing, you know, If you had finished the game out, you wouldn't be trying to go into the locker room after the game. Um, Chris Paul did not play in the first game in Houston. So, okay, you're shorthanded. We get it. Um, Austin Rivers ate them alive in Houston. Um, Lou Williams just does what he does. The dude just comes in. It's like you know, just marking down for 30. As soon as he gets in the game, Houston was up like 26, lost the lead in Houston to the Clippers. So now you go back to LA, they play a the tribute video for CP3 and all that. You're up 44 34 in the first half. You know, you get a double digit lead. I know NBA, everybody makes runs and all that and the other. But Close them out. Finish the game, and then there won't be any of this. And if they are talking, you know, you can just laugh it off because you won. Whatever Blake Griffin can say, do whatever you want. <coughs> Excuse me. With Dan Tony, at Paul? Patrick Beverly would not be able to talk trash during the game and tweet during the game because Houston would have beaten them. They've lost both of these games. So that's what I'm still stuck on. Uh and, and then you add in the fact that the police were supposedly called, and I see where Adrian Mordenowski tweeted out that uh, Trevor Reza and Jill Green are suspended for two games. Chris Paul and James Harden were would not be disciplined because they were trying to act as peacemakers. Uh, but the fact that the Clippers called the police. Did you see Kenny and Charles on TNT just Chocolate crying. Shaq with him. Excuse me. Every time I laugh, there's a frog in my throat, so I, sometimes I've been muting myself. But that was hilarious, too. Look, I'm frustrated at the Rockets for not, look, beat the Clippers. You made this trade. Uh, I know Harden was out last night, but they didn't have uh, DeAndre Jordan. They didn't have Austin Rivers, who tore you up in Houston. Patrick Beverly' has been out for the for, for the season forever. He's been done for weeks. So, look, just beat them. You're still better than them. They're playing great. They're playing a lot better now than everybody thought. And right now, ironically, this will be the 2-7 matchup in the Western Conference playoffs for the first round if the playoffs started today. So, look, it, last year... It was Memphis. Couldn't beat the Grizzlies for nothing. Get a big lead, can't hold on to it. And now this year it's the Clippers. Can't finish them off. Uh, Houston lives by the three, dies by the three. They're better defensively this year than they were last year. But, look, you just got to beat the Clippers. It's got to be personal, as personal to Houston as it is becoming to L.A., And that's kind of where I'm at. I'm just still ticked off about them losing. I've seen different Houston Rockets sites, you know, Dream Shake, Red 94, talking about officiating. Uh, The game they lost in Houston, the Rockets protested the ending. And there were some terrible calls at the end. James Harden got ejected. But, look, you were up 26. There were plenty of things you could have done to keep the rest from being in the position to make a bad call if you took care of your business before that. So I'm 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 kind of frustrated with the Rockets for dropping those games. Don't whine about the fish when you blow the lead and give the rest a chance to make a bad call. That's kind of where I'm at. And I know I rambled and I got them the smoke box, but, you know, the Rockets are second in the West. But those two games, uh, you know, you've you, you got to beat the Clips. I'm hating the Clippers like you
0: do right now, basically. <laughs> I don't even hate the Clippers. It's just, I, I'm,
2: I, I'm just not sure how they're factoring into anything. They don't make it past the second round. What What is it the Clippers are doing? The Clippers are just a B-movie of the Lakers, is all that is. Uh, When the Lakers have juicy drama, Shaq and Kobe, Kobe in general, uh, going back to uh, Kareem and Magic and all that, they're winning championships. But the the Clippers are just the biggest pretenders to to anybody. That's what I don't understand. So it's not that I hate them. It's just that as bad as the Lakers have been, they're still better than you. And that's my my thoughts on that. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> that, that, and so I don't even think about the uh, right. Clippers uh, that much uh, Another big NBA topic that I have seen Is Paul Pierce is getting honored <laughs> in Boston And he raised a big They were going to play an Isaiah Thomas video Before the game And he didn't want to share the spotlight with Isaiah Thomas. And then he had a change of heart. Look, I don't like Draymond Green. But the simple fact, (laughs) what he told Paul Pierce stays in my head when I think of Paul Pierce. They don't love you like that. You are not Kobe. They don't love you like that. Paul Pierce, very good player. Paul Pierce. Not a great player. I'm confused on, on, and I think the Celtics should 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 honor him because he was the best player for a stretch. But I have to agree with what Shannon Sharp said yesterday today. I don't even know if he would make the top ten all time Celtics when you when you when you put it like that. Uh, you know, he's not in top five. He's not up there. Um, I don't know what he is looking for uh, from the Celtics organization. I did retweet out a thread, I think it was last week, that looked at Paul Pierce, his numbers. And, you know, for a stretch when the Celtics weren't very good, Paul Pierce wasn't very good either. he benefited more than anybody with Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett showing up to town.
1: He really,
2: really benefited uh from that. So I just thought that was you know, I, I love the the folk front at Paul Pierce. Uh with him with the uh with the wheelchair coming out and then, you know, yada 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 but <laughs> they don't love you like that. You're not coping.
1: That that. So I, 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 was, that. I'm gonna, I don't know, maybe be on the other side. I mean you know, Pierce yeah, I'm definitely not top five. And you got, you know, Russell, coozy Bird, McHale, Havlicek, Havlicek, uh, Talon, you know, Joe, Joe White. 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 You want to go, you go with those David guys? Jones. And, uh, <laughs> Sam Jones. So, yeah, Robert Parrish. So, yeah, but he's going to get a lot of love and be remembered forever because he brought them the first title. Since 86 They had been through a heck of a drought Um, And sure He's not I don't know I don't have his numbers You looked them up Um, You know not top Super elite but For that alone He's going to be thought of Highly in Boston He bought them their most recent banner They got 17 or whatever He brought one But he brought them their last one and Cleveland, didn't Cleveland just play in Boston with Isaiah Thomas being back in the lineup? Like, Isaiah Thomas' second game back, didn't they play at Boston? I, I believe so.
0: So my I, I thing the whole time
1: it. was, I'm like, honor Isaiah then. Why are you going to wait till the second time he comes to Cleveland as an active player again. Recognize him in his first game back. Cleveland won, I mean, Boston won the game, I believe, beat him 102-88 or whatever. Play the video, then is Paul being petty for like, oh, it's my night, why are you playing an IT video? Yes. Roger Rondo came out and said, what has is Isaiah Thomas done
0: to <laughs>
1: receive the recognition? And I mean, he had a good run mm-hmm. last year. He gave them his all amid family tragedy with the passing of his sister. And, look, he didn't even want to be traded. You know, he still, you know, was quoted just a few weeks ago saying, I don't think I'll ever speak to Danny Ainge. But so he's got love for Boston. He, he, he had a good run last year. Recognize him a few weeks ago when he played. I don't understand why they would put his video up there on Paul Pierce night anyway because you've been knowing forever that you're going to do Paul Pierce's night and you knew Cleveland was going to be in town a couple of days ago. So go ahead and get it out of the way then. I, I
2: don't disagree. I, and I you know, Rajon Rondo of all the former cats, he's kind of still the one that's really hardest to wrap your arm around. Uh, but I agree with his quote. Where is Isaiah Thomas getting a video? Somebody said they made it to the conference finals. That's not the standard when you're the Boston Celtics and you've won more than anybody.
0: Mm -hmm. You've only
2: been there a couple of years. And I get it. Playing after, you know, the day after his sister died, I get it. Playing through injury, getting teeth knocked out, I get it. But I can see if he had been with the team for a little bit, I, I don't understand this. This, this notion of, of welcoming guys back, either that got traded or whatever, they come back and they get a video tribute. I don't understand that at all. I, I, call me crazy. I just don't get it.
1: Hmm. And, and I don't, you know, I think they could have just. It could have already been done. If you want, if you're into doing that kind of thing. Just go, and they were just there. So I don't understand why it is on Pierce night as well. Uh, so I can I can see why Pierce would be that way. You know, whenever anybody gets their jersey retired, no matter where they are in the all time NBA ranks, that is kind of that special night for them and their family. I remember when Dominique Wilkins got his retired. You know, they didn't. Uh, they didn't do anything for Mookie Blaylock or some other hawk that had just recently <laughs> been traded. It was all about Dominique. So I can see where I should kind of be all about Paul Pierce. And Thomas was just there a couple of years. I can see that as well. But if you want to recognize him, fine, even though that he didn't do Celtic-level stuff, do it. Like I said, they were just there recognizing them on a different night. So I can see both sides of it. Uh, but it is a whole big bunch of stuff stirred up and feathers ruffled over not a whole lot, though. I can see that as well. So it's just a whole it's just a weird situation.
2: It, it is. Cause, and the thing is, Boston has a, a rich history, so they don't have to Manufacture the history. That's what becomes striking to me. Like you don't have to go get it. Uh, you don't have you know teams that don't have deep historical roots. I can understand celebrating some of that stuff, but getting to the Eastern Conference Finals,
0: uh, yes. okay.
2: I don't I don't know why that would require any kind of over the top hoopla. But that's just
1: Absolutely. We are getting close to the end of the show, but for everybody that listens and interacts on Twitter, we definitely appreciate it. You can always catch it on blacktopradio.com slash cats talk, or if you're into checking out different apps, uh, you'll occasionally see us tweeted out from the show account. CastBox, Stitcher, Player FM, all different apps where you can just you know Google Cats Talk Wednesday and find as well as iTunes, our show, each and every last episode, on those different apps. So feel free to download them, subscribe to them, to give the notification of when a new episode is up, and you can listen to any show uh, at any time. Like, this show will be up on all those apps shortly. You can go and listen to this show, or you can listen to the shows that we've done back in the past. Uh, any show, anytime, like we always say. So CastBox, Stitcher, Player FM, iTunes. There's even a, like a Spanish app T V, I V O O X on Twitter. And we're on there as well. So uh any of those just other avenues that you can access the show, so wanna make sure let everybody know that. Mention mention it at the beginning of the show. I just thought I'd throw it in right before the end. I gotta shift it up to music with you real quick because uh I got Cameron Mills, Cameron Mills show every Sunday, W L A P a.m., as well as various facilities throughout Kentucky, Uh, 7 to 9 p.m. every Sunday. And I know you've listened. You know, a lot of times I listen at work on Monday. Uh, Sometimes I listen live on Sunday as it's going. But, uh, you know, uh, Hunter is there as an intern and Garrett and all those guys. And, you know, come back to different songs from the commercial. And Cam tries to guess the artist that is singing the particular song. And most of the time, it's a whiff. Most of the time, it's a swing and a miss. And and I'm sitting there laughing and just rolling because he has no clue of who the, the artist is. And it's, it's a pretty big song from our era, from the 90s, from the 80s, from the early 2000s, stuff that most of us know. And he will miss the artist. And then he will say, he'll reference you and I a lot of times. say, gosh, I know. I know Terry and Vinny are just just embarrassed right now. I know they are just rolling their eyes right now. I know they're shaking their heads right now. He'll say something like that because, he, you know, well, you and I know who the particular artist was, and we, we know the song right at the bat, and he was swinging and missing at it. So this happened this past Sunday. Uh, he played a lot of civil uh, civil rights era songs, and he started off with Change Will Come by Sam Cooke. Uh, later he played People Get Ready by Curtis Mayfield and the Impressions. But at the beginning of the show, Cam got Sam Cook right and I almost fell out of my chair. And, you know, later on he was missing and, and calling out the wrong names and things of that nature. Um but I'm rambling to get to the point that he mentioned, you know, Percy Sledge when a man loves a woman because he was riding in the car with his dad, Terry and Michael Bolton's version came on and cams like 16. So we would have been 14 or 15. This is in the nineties. And he said, his dad said, if you can tell me who originally did this, I'll get you a car. And at 16, of course everybody wants a car. Cameron had no idea that Percy Sledge did the song originally as they were listening to the Michael Bolton cover. So, my thing with the Percy Sledge one is that, you know, when a man loves a woman, it's just kind of okay for me. Maybe it's one of those that just got overkilled and I just got burnt out on it. So I just wondered where that song was for you. Did you love it and were you just kind of, eh, it's all right? Uh, but for me, the Percy's, that Percy song was just kind of okay. It was just a little bit overkilled for me. Growing up, I mean, I I, I liked it. I I think it was one of those things. It went through a stretch, uh,
2: probably in the late '80s, early '90s, where almost every love song or uh, every kind of romantic movie, it was played at some point throughout the movie. In fact, there was a movie with with Meg Ryan and Andy Garcia when a man loves a woman. So I think that came out, uh, you know, in that time period. And so once that movie came out, it got more radio airplay, and I think we kind of got burned on it then. I still think it's a great song. Yeah. Right.
0: Uh,
2: when you listen to but the I'm... lyrics, it goes back to those songs in the 60s and the 70s where the the, the, the words and the person singing those words, you could feel something. Like,
0: uh-huh.
2: I don't know the history behind it, but just listen to that song Percy Sledge knew what it meant for a man to lose a woman or to love someone so much that you were going to look past her flaws, you know, that you were going to, you know, even a detriment to yourself, you're still going to love that person. And that's a universal truth we can all relate to, but but he sang that song. And the Michael Bolton thing is good, don't get me wrong. But every now and then a song comes along that that merges with an artist, and you're like, okay, that's a rap. That's a that's a that's a that's a rap. Uh, whether it's the person that sings it first or another cover version, you know, I know some people swear by Dolly Parton's "I Will Always Love You," but you know, in my mind, mm-hmm. that's you know. That's no one else yeah. needs to do that. Um, so, mm-hmm. But I love that song. But it, I, I think. When a man loves a woman, it, it just—I think it got burned out, kind of as we were growing up, and it was all over the place. Yeah. Uh, and it really uh, obscured some of his other songs uh, of his catalog that Percy's glad to have.
1: Exactly. Now see, outside of Kentucky, we disagree on everything, but but we are right there in the same boat on this because I—that's why I asked you because I was like, am I the only one? It kind of just got a little burned on Percy when a man was a woman. So I'm right there with you uh, on that. And if anything goes past 8, com slash catstalk, you can catch us finishing up the show as well as on all those apps that I mentioned and that we tweet out on uh, a fairly regular basis. And that brings me this the same way. And, and, and growing up, my mom and, you know, Love her to death, and she, she is all about some Gladys Knight. I went through the same thing with Gladys Knight, because mom was just mom, that was mom's girl. She played Gladys, 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 Gladys. Me and my sister were like, oh. But now, of course, I love Gladys as well. So I think that was just me at the age I was at that time. But where are you at, and maybe I'm just, maybe this is just me again, as far as Cameo, Candy, and Word Up. Maybe I'm in this boat all by myself, but I never was all that enthused about either one of them. There's tons of other Cameo stuff that nobody, that I love. But those two, I'm just like, oh, my God. I'm burned out on those two. So where are you at on those two? Well, it it, it, it's the, it, it, it goes back to the thing with the music, uh
2: music. You know, artists have songs that become popular that their fans don't necessarily embrace, and, and and I think that you 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 run into that a lot. I like "Word Up." It's the cold word. I mean, I I, I think I just, to me it was catchy, even though I know they had other stuff, you know, that they had uh, that they come out with. I liked it. I, I, I mean, I was not gonna say I'm a diehard. Uh, fan, but it was just fun, kind of catchy, catchy song. So I could, it's one of those things, I could take it or leave it. I'm not going to you know, I'm not going to circle the wagon either way.
1: Uh See, I never was even take it or leave it. It just both of them, I didn't care for either one of them, but cameo back and forth, I'll play that over and over and over and over. And, like, you know, nobody casually even knows about that song, but everybody casually knows Candy and Word Up. Like you said, artists kind of get stuck with famous ones and people kind of forget about other ones. But I'll take back and forth on both of those two any day of the week. And speaking of covers, you know, we had Junior from Junior's World of Soul on twice. And I retweeted from my Twitter and and the show Twitter. He did a video, because he does tons of YouTube videos, got his website, Juniors World of Soul. He did his favorite covers, and he put seven songs on there, uh, seven originals, seven covers. His favorite seven is about an hour, uh, but he's just as enthusiastic on his video as he was when he came on our show to talk music. He explains why they were his favorite seven. And just like you say, I Will Always Love You, that's Whitney's song now. He has some of those in there where, no disrespect to the original, but this is such and such a song now. You know, like lately by Stevie Wonder, Jodeci remade it. I think he had that third or fourth in his countdown. No disrespect to Stevie, but that's Jodeci's song. So he did a whole countdown like that with just his seven favorites, so if you get a chance to check that out, it was it was really fun. He had some old school songs, had some Dionne Warwick songs, had some newer songs, a good mix. Uh, but it was cool seeing that video by Junior. So I just had to throw that music in with you towards the end because listening to Cam's show Sunday, he was ecstatic that he got Sam Cooke to begin the show. And if you, he references you and I. Every time he misses a song, especially a song, <laughs> song R&B-type song, he'll say, oh, my God, Vinny and Terry have to be just shaking their head and rolling their eyes right now. But, you know, <laughs> if you go back and catch, his, catch the podcast, it's up on Uh, He'll reference us throughout the show, especially when he gets a song wrong. So I just think that's pretty funny. Yeah, I've been on a 70s
2: soul kick lately. That's what I've been listening to around the house. So uh,
1: when we finish up
2: and I get some stuff, I got to do some uh, stuff around here. That's what I'm going to uh, be back. You know, I was listening to Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes and the Manhattans. Uh Let's just kiss and say goodbye. Man, them 70s songs, they were, woo get
0: you all up
1: yeah. in the ceiling. That's, yeah. That's what I'm getting ready to get back <laughs> on myself. There you go. And that was... Uh... Speaking of JR had one of those in his cabin now. He had a Manhattan and then a cover. I can't remember who the cover was. But yeah, that's good stuff too. So if y'all get a chance to us, check that out, check that out. Uh check out all of our shows. Check out Cameron Mills' show. Uh where he will reference Terry and I when he misses an artist, which is fun as well. But we appreciate it. Everybody listening. Appreciate you guiding the ship through the Coach Minjian interview, and we really appreciate Coach Minjian coming on right before he went to Championship Kitchen with Coach Cal and Coach Mitchell uh, for that show at 7 o'clock. So we thank y'all, and thank you again, TV, because you saved it for us, man. Thank you. Oh, not a problem at all. Glad we had
2: Coach uh, on uh, for the Bat-Cats. They're less than 30
1: days away from
2: kicking off their season, so uh, a, another great, great show. Uh, game day, going to be at Rupp Arena, Cats versus Gators that night. Uh, I think the Cats rebound. I think Vanderbilt doesn't come out quite as nervous. It, it helps settle the, yeah. the team down. Hopefully, uh, Quad A can get back out there and uh, and we can right this ship a little bit. Absolutely.
1: Right now, Alabama and Auburn are tied at 36, 17-36 left in the second half against on SEC Network. At the half, those uh, very same Florida Gators that we will see on Saturday night, they are leading Arkansas 48-33 at the half. Uh, that's on ESPN 2. So they appear to be bouncing back from their loss to Ole Miss uh Rather well right now, being up 15 on the Hogs. So we'll see if they bring that same swag to Rip Arena. They kind of live by the three, die by the three. Uh, so we'll see how that shapes out. And the Cats look to bounce back uh, from their loss to the Gamecocks. But for my man Terry TB Brown, this is Vinny Hardy. We'll be back next Wednesday talking about the AFC title games, Cats and Gators. And a whole lot more. Maybe some more music, who knows. But it would be a lot of fun. So thank y'all for listening. Thank you again, TV. And thanks to Coach Min Joe for hopping on as well. We'll see y'all a week from now. This is Cast Talk Wednesday, Brandon Hardy Radio Network, BlockTalkRadio.com. See y'all next week. I
0: want to break my heart I was gone from the i so